Unity threatened for the benefit of all of us and certainly those who may be visiting with us here today as we are in a series, we notice that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ and himself specifically, has called believers, those who are professing Christians, those really truly who are believers, he's called us to be known by our love. He's called us to walk in our love, one for another. He said that we are to love as he has loved us, and we have seen that. And yet, as we have noted from observation, the true church universally, certainly in our nation, and certainly among all of us, if we're honest, we notice that as we look at the church of Jesus Christ, while we're called to those things, we usually observe often anything but that. We observe strife. We observe dissension. We observe divisions. We observe bickering. We observe disputings and so forth and so on as we have seen. And so in this mini-series, what we're doing is addressing those things. And what we have already stated to remind us is that really the root of the problem, as I stated in our first message, is sin. It is a misunderstanding of the gospel. It is a misunderstanding of the local church. It is a battle with our flesh. And primarily, we will get to that, Lord willing, next week, we will start it, is our attitudes. It is our attitudes. And as we are going through this series, we are addressing those things. Why? To encourage, as the center of the messages are on unity, to encourage what should be observed in the Church of Jesus Christ in our lives, in this local assembly, and throughout the world, and that is unity in the body of Christ. In our first message, just very quickly, we saw, and I entitled it, Unity Lacking. And we basically stated that before the foundation of the world, obviously God was in perfect unity. And a little point of clarification here. God was in perfect unity, and really it all started, I said when the second person came in, I should have been a little more technical there. It was when the first person was created in the sense that this, we find in the scriptures, it was through one man that sin entered into the world. Man and sin caused disunity with God, and he caused disunity with one another. But in addition to that, as soon as you have two people, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what time frame we're dealing with, as soon as you have two people, you have conflict. And that's true even in marriage. It's true anywhere, at work and so forth. Now, you can say, well, everything's in harmony with us, but eventually there'll be some type of conflict. And so while God in the Godhead was happy with himself and there was perfect unity, as soon as you had one more than one person, you had strife, you had disputings, you had hatred, you had war, you had killing, and everything else you find in the scriptures. What is the result? The result is the lack of unity, first of all, man to God, and secondly, man to man. And uh, none of us, none of us are uh, without sin. And none of us, prior to salvation, had any hope. We were absolutely lost. We had no relationship with one another. And basically, we were in disharmony with God and with other men. The second message led us into last week, unity established. And I want to repeat this so we get it. Last week, as we talked about unity established, in spite of, in spite of man's sin, in spite of the fact that we are dead in sin, or we're dead in sin if you're saved, 
in spite of the fact that men and women, boys and girls, are helpless, and in spite of the fact we are enemies of God, or we're enemies of God, and even the practical sense, in spite of the fact we come from different cultures, different centuries, different genders, different ages, God himself established the unity. How did he do that? In the gospel. That is what brings us together. Anyone here that is saved today, anyone here that is part of the body of Christ, and we'll talk about that in a second, again, but anyone who's part of the body of Christ, you're only brought here and are now in relationship with other believers because of the work of God. He establishes the unity. It is found in the gospel, in the good news. From that, we learn from Romans that we are justified and have peace with God when we believe. And believers are one in Christ, as we will see again this morning. Now, I clearly pointed out this is not universal salvation, in spite of the, what the world may think. This is only talking about believers. It is believers who are united. It is God that has brought us together. And the gospel, we said last week, is by grace alone. You cannot earn it through good works. It's by grace alone. It is through Christ alone. And I repeated, and I repeated again this morning, the Christ of the Bible. Not just the Jesus that the world wants to think up as a good man, though he was that, as a prophet, though technically he was that, as a king, though he was that, but as fully God, fully man, virgin-born, the Christ of the Bible. So it's through Christ alone, and it is through faith alone. And so this unity was established by God, and we didn't do a lot of work on it, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, we saw the seven ones. We've been baptized by one spirit. There's one Lord. There's one baptism, etc., etc. And that we are unified. God creates it, not us. And that's important to remember yesterday, uh, in the future because, again, we're going to be called upon to keep the unity of the faith. God is the one who established it. He's already brought it about. And for clarification, in case it's in your mind, let me be very specific. And I told you I'm trying to address very specific and be open with you. When we talk about unity, listen carefully. All Christians... All true Christians are one. Did you catch that? Doesn't matter when it was, whether it was 100 years ago, whether it's today, whether it's male, female, those who truly have trusted in Christ, God has united us, we are one. Now listen carefully before you jump on me. What that means is if there are charismatics who have trusted in Christ, we are one with them. If there are fundamentalists who have truly trusted in Christ, we are one with them. Dispensationalists, we are one with them. Covenant theologians, truly believers, we are one with them. Reformed theologists, if they truly are believers, we are one with them. And if you don't get over that, you have a problem. That doesn't mean we will get together with them and do everything. But we must accept the fact that anyone who is a true believer, whether they live in China, whether they live in the United States of America, whether their theology is perfectly lined up with us, if they are true believers, they are part of the body of Christ. And we are not talking about, and again for clarification, 
unbelievers. We are not one with a Jehovah Witness. We are not one with a Mormon. Their gospel is not the same gospel as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean you'll line up with all of these, the, these theologies that I said. But if you don't understand as a foundation, look it, I was a Roman Catholic. And when I got saved, I became part of the body of Christ. Are there Roman Catholics that come to Christ? Absolutely, or some of you wouldn't even be here. But once we become part of the body of Christ, we are united in Christ permanently. And we need to understand that. This is not a basis so that people might go out of here and say, I'm being honest and open as a pastor with you and preaching the word. That doesn't mean we go out of here and have an ecumenical meeting with everybody who disagrees with our theology. No, that's not what we're saying. But you are one with a true believer. And you cannot get by that. What does that mean? I think if we don't catch this, we're not going to really understand the scriptures right. Here's what I want you to consider. It's in your outline. Number one, the new life and its implications. If we have been united in the gospel, and all true believers have been, listen, we are members of Christ's church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, he will build his church. This is not Pastor Dan's church. This is not Pastor Stringer's church. Even though he was used to found it, it is not his church. It is not my church. It is not the elders' church. Neither is the church down the corner their church. The true church is Jesus Christ's church. It is his church. And when people have trusted in Christ, we are members of the church of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We are part of his body. That's what it means. We're part of his body. That's Ephesians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we just talked about and read in the responsive reading. That's what it means. This new life, when I've trusted in Jesus Christ and believed the true gospel, I am part of his body. Next, I am a member of the flock of God. Did you catch that in Acts chapter 20? Look at verse 28. It says there, be on God for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you see overseers to shepherd the church of God. We're his flock. It's his flock. We are his temple, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. We are his building, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21. And don't take this for granted. We forget that as we go on. When I was a new believer in Christ and I began to hear these things, I was excited. But after a few years, we forget I'm part of his church. I'm part of his body. And I forget that I'm united with other people who have professed faith in Christ, if they're a true believer. We are part of a royal priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2. We as the church of Jesus Christ are the pillar in the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Literally, we are a child of God for the first time, Philippians chapter 2. And the one that we all know is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are a new creation. We're not what we were, we are something else because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's what this new life means. And I need to understand that it's the gospel that's brought us together. And I need to come to that. And what is it? It's a new organism. This is not an organization. And I know, and I've listened to it for years, 
and I've preached it for years. It's not a club. But sometimes we forget that in practicality, and we make it a club. It is not. We are a new organism. We're part of a body of Christ. It's made up of people. It's not an organization. It's not a secret society. It's not some club that I'm joining. Not at all. Christ has made us alive in him, and we are part of Christ's church. Now, what does that mean? Don't miss this impl these implications. Because if we do again, forget about everything else I'll talk in the next few weeks. If you don't grab this, you're going nowhere, and neither am I. What is that? If we're united in the gospel of Christ, listen carefully. Implication. Jesus Christ is Lord. End of discussion. Not me. Not you. Not you. Not somebody else. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the one. What does that mean? I have been bought. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to me. If you're truly a Christian, you don't belong to yourself. It is not you that have the right to direct your life, neither is it me. It is not us that have the right to do anything. If I'm truly a Christian, this isn't just an attachment of Jesus Christ to my life. He owns me. He's purchased me. I belong to him. I do not belong to myself. I do not belong to the world. I belong to Christ. As that is true, I am, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, to be an imitator of Christ. I am, as we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a member of the body of Christ. I belong to him. I am to serve Christ. Why? I'm not my own. I am a servant. I literally, and you notice, by the way, in the New Testament, that's what Paul says. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Look at the letters that he writes. He belonged to Christ. He served. What does that mean? I am to serve the body. We just read it. Go with me to that passage in 1 Corinthians for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll come right back to that passage in Acts in a second. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, well, we began reading in uh, verse 12, but uh, let me just concentrate on verses 21 to 27 for a second here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker than necessary. Right? And you, you, you saw the whole passage. Why? Go down to verse 25. So that there may be no division in the body. But the members may have the same, watch this, care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all members are rejoicing in it. Who is that talking about? Anyone who is a true believer in Jesus Christ. What do I want, really want to point out with that? One of the implications is, folks, we are interdependent. I need to depend upon you. You need to depend upon me. God has gifted us differently. God has equipped his body differently as it pleased him. And I cannot function without you. 
and you can't function without me. And anyone here that thinks they can, you are contrary to the scriptures. You can't function independently, totally. I need Christ. I need other believers. And God's designed it that way. So we need to understand that it's Christ's body. He's the head. It's his church. It's, it's he that designed this. And true believers, because of the gospel, have been brought together. Thus, there's one body. There is unity. There is those things spoken about in Ephesians. One baptism, one spirit, one Lord. However... It's led to the third message. Obviously, while there is this unity in Christ, it is threatened. And that's going to be this week's and next week's message. What are the threats to the unity? Go back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32. I'm using this to just set the tone. He points out, watch, be on your God. Why? He tells us, because I know, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and, verse 30, from among your own selves, men will arise. There's a warning. While we are one in Christ, we didn't have any unity before the gospel, but in the gospel, Jew, Gentile, it's all broken down. We come to one in Christ, but now there's a threat to that unity again. What is the threat? Well, externally, according to the passage, it's false teachers to make it very simple. Savage wolves, that's what he's talking about. And he doesn't mention it, but I will. Satan is also a threat externally to the body of Christ. He hates us. He hates the things of Christ. And like a roaring lion, he's just looking for whom he may devour. In fact, he asked for Peter that he could sift him as wheat. Okay? That's externally. Internally... There are problems. Now, in here, there may have even been false teachers within the church in the context. But let me put it to you this way. There are professing believers and self-promoters. I think that's fair to the text, internally. For our purposes, this week and next week and the mini-series, I am not going to deal with the false teachers. I am not going to deal with Satan or um, that type of situation or people who are merely professing believers who are truly not. Those are problems, but for our purposes in this mini-series, I'm not going to deal with that. What I'm going to deal with, rather, is the disunity that can come from believers. That which can come from within. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. I won't turn there. I'll give you the essence of it. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian believers, says in that church, I have had reported to me, and I believe it's true, that there are divisions among you. One saying, I'm after Paul. One saying, I'm after Apollos. One saying, I'm after Christ. And on and on it went. And he began that epistle by addressing the fact that there was disunity in the church among believers. Why is there a threat? I want to give you two reasons that I want to address. The first one today, with whatever time I've got allowed him here today, and the second one, which is going to come right back to what I said I believe is the biggest problem. And here are the two things. The two reasons internally with believers are this. There are many believers. What? What does that mean? Anytime you get more than one believer, you got a problem. You don't think so? Look at the history of the church. I don't mean just fellowship, the history of the church. It's just like with creation. 
When you got two, you got two opinions, you got two problems already. That's true in the church. Secondly, it's our flesh. It's our attitudes. And even though we are saved and united in Christ, we still have this flesh. That'll be the next area that I end up dealing with next week. What I want to deal with is the very fact that we are many members. Now, that's not a surprise to us, is it? Go back to 1 Corinthians 12 again. You say, obviously, Pastor Dan. Well, that's what the problem is. One of the problems internally, Christ established the unity, but look at verse 12. For even as the body is one, it is, it's accepted. Yet, has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, there's still only one body. We can't lose track of that. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. That's what creates one of the problems internally. Why? Why do we say that, Pastor Dan? Why do you think that that's part of the problem for the disunity in the body of Christ? Let me give you the, the reasons here, or some of it. Consider this. First of all, our past. What does that mean? Some of you may have had a Jewish background. Most of you probably Gentile. Some of you may have come from Roman Catholicism. Some of you may have come from Universalists. Some of you may have come from a Buddhist background. Some of you could have come from a simple moralist background. And on and on I could go. Because of our past, we already have a problem when we come into the body of Christ. You say, well, that's just not biblical. Really? Matthew was a tax collector. Peter was a Jewish fisherman. Cornelius was a Gentile who was a Roman soldier. Paul was a Pharisee. Philemon was a slave. All of those situations created a problem in the church. The very past that we have, though we are new creations in Christ, we take that with us. Some of them came from backgrounds of idolatry. Some of them came from observing various rituals and honoring a day. Others not honoring a day. Is that not true from our past? Some of us have been brought up where uh, the church did this, the church did that. Our religious upbringing didn't have any special holidays. Others had special holidays. And all of that has influenced us. Some of us have come out of a past where there was drunkenness. Others have come out of a path where there was rock music. Others have come out of a past in which all other kinds of things were in our lives. Some it was immorality, some it was not. Some was a very moral person. But we've been all called and united into one body in Christ. But it's affected us. Our cultures have affected us. Our society status has affected us. Our past lifestyles have affected us. And yet we're one in Christ. But that creates a problem. Yes, we're one body. But since we have many members, when we come to Christ, okay, when we first come to him, we have little instruction. And I put it to you this way. And a lot of baggage. When I came to Jesus Christ, just for a moment, when I came to Jesus Christ, I've shared it with you, I grew up, I went to Central Catholic here locally, I went to St. Patrick's Parish. I got married in St. Patrick's Parish. I was thoroughly Roman Catholic. 
And when I came to Christ and I, I rejoiced in the gospel, I had this new freedom, but still I had the concepts of those upbringings in my thinking. And I brought it into the body of Christ. If I'm honest, and so did you. So did you, whatever it was. And if that's not bad enough, what we bring in from the past, let's consider the present. What do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? Even in this audience, some of you are babes in Christ. Some of you are not a babe, but you're a young believer. What else? Some are mature. Some are teachers. What are we getting at? Not only do we have the past to deal with and all those problems when we now come into a body, but the second thing is, presently, we're all at different stages of spiritual growth. And sometimes we look at a babe and say, Why, what are you doing? Uh, am I, what was I supposed to do? And you've got others who are teaching and able to teach. And then you've got people who should be teachers who aren't there yet, Book of Hebrews. But the present complicates it. You think that that's not biblical? Listen to this. How about the disciples of John? Have you received the Holy Spirit yet? I'm talking about Acts chapter 19. We don't even know if there was a Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you about that. And let me tell you that the one John was talking about was Jesus Christ, and yet they were living. That created a problem for the early church. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? He was a babe. Uh, who's this talking about? Is this talking about the, the right that's talking about Jesus Christ? And he came to Christ. Now you've got an Ethiopian eunuch who's a babe. How does he relate to the church? How about the Philippian jailer? You got a Gentile. And now you got a Gentile who's been involved in this, ready to take his life. And Paul says, Don't worry, we're still all here. And he leads him and his family to the Lord. Now I expect them to be mature Christians that understand everything, right? Are you kidding? You got Hebrew Christians, so the book of Hebrews is written to them, and on I could go. The reality is that's why you read your scriptures and find this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, for example, there was a struggle in the Corinthian church with what? Idolatry. Why? They were one in Christ, yes. But some came out of idolatry. Others had never had that as a part of their life, and they were trying to live with one another. And what do I do? How do I get along? Romans chapter 14, some were observing days, others were saying every day's alike. Well, obviously the one who said every day's alike doesn't know what he's talking about. And obviously the one who's saying that this day is more important than that day, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Really? No. The problem is you have different backgrounds, the problem is you have different influences, and the problem is neither one of you are right, it's the way you're treating one another. Some when newly saved and the gospel went to the Gentiles and they said, well, circumcision is that? Should we be doing circumcision? And you had Acts chapter 15. Why did you have Acts chapter 15? We need to come together and understand how we're to function. The gospel has now gone to the Gentiles. Let's just ask them not to eat anything strangled or anything to do with blood. Why? So that they could function together. Their lives were affected by their past even though they were one in Christ. In Acts I mentioned chapter 19 to you already. The problem is, if everyone did their own thing, can you imagine where the body of Christ would be? Chaos. That's the truth. If there was only one member in the body of Christ, no problem. 
But there aren't. There's many members. And if we just could do our own thing, well, fine. You want to, uh, uh, let's use some of the things that I really brought up, right? Uh, you want to have a tattoo? That's fine. Uh, but, you know, you're ungodly anyway. Uh, you don't want to have a tattoo? Well, that's fine. But you're ungodly anyway. Right? That's what happens. I don't know why tattoo. It just came to my mind, by the way. I'm not but the point is we have these differences. Why? Things have come in. And we start fighting. But if everybody did their own thing, that's not love. That's not caring for one another. And that's why you have the wisdom of God. How do you, how do you solve something like this? You've got, you've got people that were not united to God. All of a sudden, they're united to God because of the gospel. But we're not one. We're one in Christ, but everybody's got different backgrounds. Everybody's been called out of different things. We're one in Christ. Some are babes. Some are, some are really mature. How do we function with one another? And how do we get to get along with one another? And isn't it magnificent that God had the solution all along? Some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to say. It's the local church. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Dan. Let's talk about the universal church. Don't talk to me about the local church. Absolutely. And it's something that people don't understand today. That's how you ended up. And I'll, I'll get to some detail here. The local church was part of the wisdom of God. He had the universal body. But how often do I see the believer in China? Maybe never. But I'm still one with them. But I don't have to live with them. How often am I going to see the believers in Florida? Once a year? Maybe not at all? Maybe never? Am I one with them in Christ? Mm-hmm. But I don't have to function with them because I'm not with them. The seedlings of the early church, go with me to the book of Acts quickly. The seedlings of the early church, and please understand I said seedlings. Acts chapter 1 had a problem right away. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, I won't even read it all. But here's where the Lord has just left them. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the upper room. They were staying there. Who do you got? Peter, John, James, Andrew. Jump down to verse 14. They were meeting and praying. I understand that. Along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. A lot of people there. A lot of different backgrounds. Now what are we going to do? Well, in this particular case, they had to wait for Acts chapter 2 because they were told there, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Pentecost comes. And now what have you got? You've got really the church, yes, but you've also got many people, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, they were meeting in the house, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and notice verse 5. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had all come together. And the church of God gets established. And if you continue on down to verse 40 for a minute, they get an immediate problem. After Peter preaches his sermon... What happens? Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified to, and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved. He's talking about the gospel. So then those who received his word and were baptized, and that day there were added 3,000 souls. What a problem. 3,000 souls out of every nation, scattered from all over the place. They had come together, and now the church is there. And what happened? To make a long story short, Many of them returned home, infant believers gone back with nobody else to associate with. By the time you come to Acts chapter 13, listen, 
Paul and Barnabas are sent forth. What do they do? They go from place to place. Listen to me. First of all, they do establish churches and set up elders and so forth. But they also go other places where they come and there's already a church. Listen, local church. There's already a couple of believers. That's all it was at the time. And he didn't even establish it. So what happened? In the beginning, there were very few believers. Very few. And they wanted to get together. It's very simple. Why? Because God put in them the unity. They now knew the one true God. And they would meet anywhere they could. Please stay with me. They would meet anywhere they could just to be with other believers because there weren't many believers. The, and, and what you end up finding is they end up meeting, listen, at streams, in houses, on the seashore, in the catacombs, and in any structure that was available. Why? They just wanted to be together. Why? Because they wanted to meet together so they could pray together, have fellowship together, and share the teachings of the apostles together, and so they could build up one another in the faith. Why? They were in the minority. And they didn't have a church in North Andover, in Methuen, in Lawrence, but they did have a church at Ephesus that got established. And they had a church where? in the Galatian region. And they had a church where? In Corinth. And they had these local assemblies that were being established. Why? For purposes of meeting together. Did they have some larger buildings? Yes. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? Well, I'll give you a reference to check on your own, Acts chapter 20. That's where Eutychus is up on the third tier and he falls down. Okay? And they met all night. The point is this, that as God was saving people and drawing them into the body of Christ, they were living in geographical areas and it was part of God's design. It was not an afterthought any more than the gospel was. His design was for believers to get together. Why? So they could fellowship, so they could pray, so they could do social things together, so they could study the teachings of the apostles. There was no mother church, you say, there was in Jerusalem. No, they were independent churches. There were some churches before Paul got there that were established simply because the gospel was what united them, and there were people living there. They were independent. And what were they to do? They were to function as the local representation of the universal body of Christ. What does that mean? They were to function in unity. Listen, they were to correct any problems that existed. 1 Corinthians. Paul didn't write to the Corinthian church and say, you know what? Go start another church. You know what? You don't like it there? Leave. What did he say? Correct the problems. There are divisions. There are lawsuits. There's sexual immorality. Address them and deal with them. And function together as a body because you're the local representation of what Jesus Christ has done. And you ought to represent him that way. They weren't to leave and go down the street. Why am I saying that? I think that's a misunderstanding today. 
Let me cut right through the issues. While you see, and by the way, what's the evidence of this? Look at the epistles. Who are they written to? Local churches? Well, not all of them passed it in, no. Who's Timothy and Titus written to? Well, Timothy and Titus. Why? Here's how the church is to operate. Where? Universally, yes, but locally. There needs to be offices. You say, there you go, there's the problem. Well, it does create a problem sometimes. But they were to meet together. And there was some structure given by God, not by us. You say, well, I don't know, maybe in time. Well, book of Revelation. Who did he concentrate on writing to? Seven local churches. Why? And the leaders of those churches to correct the problems that existed. He didn't say, write to Ephesus, say you've lost your first love, go down the street, start another church. He didn't do that. He said, correct it. Write to the church of Pergamum. Tell them what the problem is. Tell them to correct it. Why? That's how the local church was to function, so that the love of Christ would be seen. What do we have today? Well, first of all, let me say something else. Why do we have a problem today with the local church? You know, first of all, listen carefully, it falls on the local church in its leadership. We created it. And I don't mean Fellowship Bible Church. I mean Fellowship Bible Church in every local church. Why? Sometimes unable to look at the scriptures ourselves. Sometimes unable to look and address the problems. Sometimes because of what we've brought in out of our past. And we create the problems where sometimes people don't want to listen because they have some biblical sound doctrine that we just won't listen to. Sometimes it's not that. I think a big part of the problem today is this one. Everyone wants their own thing. What do you mean? They're not going to a local church to what they can do for the local church. It's what can the church do for me? Does it have the best teen program? Does it have the right music? Does it have the right this? And if I don't like it, I'll go to a church that has what I want. That's not how the local church is supposed to function at all. And if we don't like something, we leave. We start other churches. If we want to be on honest, people are saying today, I want to go back to the local church the way it was in the New Testament. Listen carefully. Home churches. Really? Yeah, well, that's how they started, Pastor Dan, isn't it? Yeah, they went from house to house. Let me ask you something. When the Lord came on the scene, did he say, hey, I want to go back to the day of Moses? They didn't have any synagogues. I ain't going into a synagogue to teach. They don't need a building. No, he went into the synagogue and used what he had. Did he use the temple of Herod? Absolutely. Did he need the temple? No, he was the temple. He used, we have folks that want to go back to and live in an age that they're not. You're in the 21st century, folks. As you follow the local church throughout history, there were even, we learned this on the trip, I saw it, basilicas. How did these buildings come into play? Again, people wanted to meet. They wanted to be together. There's nothing wrong with a building. Please stay with me for a minute or two here. What you have is a situation where, unfortunately, people have seen the building. You go to New England, let me go see a church. They're looking for buildings. 
Wrong concept. A church is not a building. Church is people. The church of Jesus Christ is people. Local church is people. But there is nothing wrong, folks, in meeting in a building to get together. Why is a building put up? It should be so that believers can get together for fellowship, for prayer, for study of the word of God, and worshiping God. We don't want to go back and live in the days of Adam. We're not there. God's not going to hold us responsible for that. We are here now. And Jesus accepted what he did. The whole point is this, and I have to wrap it up. The whole point is this. One of the problems, there are many members, and God's design is for a local church. And he's the one that puts structure to it. I will say this. We are in a day and age in which response, honestly, to many different things, people want to start all local churches and garages, homes, and everything else, and go on down the street. We don't need that stuff. You don't just need Fellowship Bible Church, by the way. I'm grateful for other churches. But God's still given structure for qualified leadership, for the way the church is to function when they come together. And that a good, strong local church should be where you go, and when there's problems, you solve it. You don't start another one. If God wants to start another one, let him start it the way he wants to start it. Don't do it because you're disgruntled over something you don't like, and you want to go someplace where you'll get what you want. And folks, when you got a local church, we had to function that way. In love, not be bickering. That's going to lead into the attitudes. And we cause sometimes people to leave and want to run away. The warning of Scripture is this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. What are we saying? Why is there disunity? Number one, because there's more than one person in the body. And often we want to stick to ourselves and do what we want. We don't understand that while we understand universally there's a church of Jesus Christ, we don't understand the concept of the local church. You know, that's why sometimes it's good to go to a foreign mission field. I was talking with a missionary this week as I'm turning the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, by the way. And I'm talking with a missionary recently. He said, Dan, those are his exact words. He said, Dan, one thing that opened my eyes is I went to a village and I saw a person that for the first they were a believer and they were a believer that hadn't seen another believer in their area for a long time and they came in and they were just rejoicing with these other believers and they came from different theological backgrounds but it was the first time they got to associate. They were just grateful for a local church. Oh, we needed to work on some doctrines but they learned as missionaries they were trying to teach them to make the church like that in the United States. It wasn't going to work. Not that you need to be different from the Bible but they were just Need in need of a local church to get together to study. The problem that happened even in the early church, Hebrews chapter 10, you know where I'm going, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter in, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he's created that, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, look, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he promised, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how 
to stimulate one another to what? Love. And what? Good deeds. You don't get saved by that. But we're to do that. And these were Hebrews that were going to leave. Watch this. Not forsaking our own assembling together. If there's anything that the new church needed, it was other believers. That's why they met in the catacombs. That's why they did meet in homes. They had no else, place else to meet. That's why when they came into an area, they might meet on the hillside. Because that's all they had. And they saw the need. We are to assemble together. as And he says, don't forsake as is the habit of some. You know, if we're going to be honest, we have to be honest with today. And today, there are people that are leaving simply because they're not getting their own way or what they want. Not everybody. And not any given church is for everybody. That's not what I'm saying. But they're out for themselves. We ought to be out caring for one another. We ought to be encouraging one another. Look at the verse. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me just put application there, even in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 to 16, it says that the body is to be fitly placed together so that every part can supply its need. And God has brought us into this geographical area. Don't go out of here thinking that Fellowship Bible Church is the only church. Not at all. There's other churches close by. But once you're a part of a local assembly, this isn't shopping. You're to be part of a local church because God designed it, and you're to enter in and use your spiritual gifts. And one of the problems is there are problems because there's more than one person. But we're to care for one another. And where we get into the real difficulty is the next part of the message, and that's going to be attitudes. Attitudes in what we want in what we think. So we're united, but we're threatened by the fact that there's more than one. We're threatened by the fact that the easiest thing today to do is leave and create something else rather than face the problems and deal with it. That's not the way you deal with your family, and it's not the way we're to deal with the local church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the word of God. We know, Father, we get a lot in today again, but we pray that you'd help us to see that those who have truly come to Christ are united in the gospel, that we are one with Christ, and that, Father, it's not only part of your design for the universal church, but part for the local body, that the local body might indeed be able to function as one and be able to function in love so that the world might see, even through the local representation, how the church of Jesus Christ is to function. Father, if we're honest, we individually we as Fellowship Bible Church and probably every local church has failed in many areas because we don't understand how precious it is to not only be a part of the body of Christ but to be a part of a local church, part of your design, part of what you've established. And Father, we pray and ask that even as we prepare our hearts for the communion service, that this might be a reminder of the unity that we have in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.